Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Soundsington Media! Where do our fears come from? For some of us, it's past experiences. Others, maybe a fear of the unknown. But if you're anything like the team at Unspookable, there is one man responsible for many of the characters, illustrations, and creatures, be it cartoon cat, anxious dog, long horse, or siren head, that just give us the shivers. We're of course talking about writer and illustrator Trevor Henderson. Unspookable producer Nate Dufort had the chance to sit down with Trevor to talk about creating creatures in the age of the internet, his new book, Scare Waves, and so much more on this episode of Unspookable. Nate Dufort, producer and creator of Unspookable here, and I'm very excited for today's guest. For our listeners, can you introduce yourself and what it is that you do? Yeah, um, my name is Trevor Henderson. I'm an illustrator and writer who uh, lives and works in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And uh, over the last, I don't know, five or six years, I've kind of become known for um, making monsters that kind of go a little viral online. Um, I've made characters like Siren Head and Cartoon Cat and Long Horse, um, usually through the medium of kind of photo bashing where I paint onto photography of like spooky locations that people either send me um, or I take myself. And I just wrote a middle grade kids book called Scare Waves with Scholastic that just hit shelves on October 3rd. Um, that is just like chock-a-block full of monsters. I'm super excited to talk about Scarewaves. I'm about halfway into it right now. But first, I can't not bring this up. So you know that we've covered one of your creations on Unspookable in the past, Siren Head, one of our most requested topics by our listeners. And our listeners have suggested even more of your creations. Does it ever surprise you to see your work pop up across other media? Oh, constantly. Uh, I mean, I when I first made these characters, and even now when I'm still doing art, I just do. It's just something I personally would like to see, and what what that would look like. So whenever there's a a response where where fans really take to a character and start giving it all this life that I never really planned for, it it is very um, mind boggling to me. Like Siren Head, I I painted in 2018, and then it wasn't until like two years later that it really blew up and became viral and. The way that fans, um, especially younger audiences, have run with that character and gone in all kinds of crazy directions is really cool and weird and a little scary, but more than anything, just kind of like really, I'm really thankful that I made a character that uh, seems to resonate so well, um, especially with kids. You know, I hear about how 
you know, a friend of a friend who, uh, that I work, like I'll, I'll be working on a illustration job with somebody and they'll be like, you know, my, my best friend has a kid and that kid is on the playground and heard about like people just like passing around like urban legends among kids about siren head. Now siren head's going to get you. And it's like become like this weird sort of modern schoolyard boogeyman in some ways, which is just the coolest thing in the world. It's amazing. And we we talk about it all the time on the show, just how digital folklore has changed oral tradition and how big visuals are a component in that. And that kind of being that sweet spot of where you hit. Yeah. Changing gears, though, to the book, Scare Waves, out now for middle grade audiences. What can you tell us about this story? Yeah, so Scare Waves is um, kind of my take on uh, my, a personally beloved subgenre of kids versus monsters. Um, you know, I read Stephen King's It at a very, very young age, and it's left a big indentation, meteor strike in my brain ever since. Um, so it's a kids versus monsters kind of story set in the 90s in a small town called Beacon Point that has a long history of people going missing, strange sightings of things in the woods, odd lights in the sky, all kinds of phenomena that kind of gets brushed aside, generally gets ignored by the adults in town just because it's easier to go about your daily life and not really worry about it. It's somebody else's problem. But the kids are very aware of it, um, and it follows a group of kids, including a, a new girl in town, kind of like a recluse kid who lives on a farm outside town, all, people from all walks of life, um, as they uh, start to realize that there are are different monsters picking off kids in this town and each of them has their own monster that's after them and um, the first part of the book is very almost like an anthology sort of thing where it chronicles different kids dealing with a monster and you know either living or not and then about the midpoint on the some of the kids get together and kind of like exchange notes and they're like oh we better do something about this and it becomes kind of like a mission uh, to get evidence get try and get parents to pay attention and just try and survive um, and it's just loaded with monsters. I think there's eight different monsters. Cause I, I really wanted to give kids, uh, what they responded to with my online work, a similar thing in the book. Um, and I, I just hope people like it. It's, it's what I would have wanted to read, uh, when I was, you know, just hoovering up, uh, Arl Stein and Stephen King and like all the weird knockoffs to stick to goosebumps that came out around the same time um, when I was a kid. And yeah, it's, it's going to be in uh, Scholastic Book Fairs, which is what, what my favorite thing was when I was a kid. And uh, I just hope it, it does well with a, with a young audience. Um, you know, as I'm reading like about Beacon Point, it's really pulling me in. I feel like, oh, you've got such a great job describing this small town and then also the very wide and very real divide between the kids and the parents. Uh, was Beacon Point based on anywhere in particular, like from your own universe or was it completely a product of your imagination? Um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a combination of a lot of different things um, in general. The town is influenced by, um, so me and my partner, Jen Woodall, we go to this comics festival in uh, Bethesda, Maryland, um, every once a year, every year, uh, called uh, um, SPX. And we drive there because the drive is always really nice that time of year. And uh, we always stop in this weird small town that really left a big impression on both of us. And um, it, it, we thought it was called Battery, Pennsylvania. So we have all these memories of this town, you know, it has, has like one of the last little video stores like uh, with VHS tapes. It's very small and weird and quaint and with a big factory on the side of town, lots of trees. 
and then we only we went back uh, this year, and most of that was just totally made up in our in our heads. It's not actually called Battery. I don't think there actually is a place called Battery. <laughs> so it it was kind of like half the this made up town that we kind of together came up with from driving through a small town and just misremembering everything. And then to that end, I also like put in like you know, there's a video store that is my video store from when I grew up in Oshawa. The video is. Um, like the big theater that I used to go to, like all these different things from myself growing up in a small town outside of Toronto, Canada, um, just kind of plugged in there. And then just kind of like just the vibe of, because I love small town horror in fiction and movies and games and all that. So I just tried to put that kind of atmosphere over top and it became like a combination of those things. You know, middle graders seem like such an ignored audience. Uh, they find content maybe not originally intended for them. And yeah. I think you and I may share a lot of influences, you know, talking about Stephen King, oh, yeah. <laughs> R.L. Stein, uh, and just uh, being able to grow up when there were, you know, VHS or DVD stores and be able to walk through that aisle oh, yeah. that became our church. Absolutely. But why... At this point in your career, focus uh, this book for middle graders. What made you want to write for this age range? Well, it was something I'd thought about before, but nothing I'd really, uh, you know, put into motion. And Scholastic actually reached out to me and uh, asked if I'd ever considered it. And I said, yes, of course, you know, because I, I distinctly remember being that kid who, you know, was just loves monsters, loves horror and was just reading everything I possibly could. And yeah, the big draw was to have a book on those same shelves, like the Scholastic Book Fair. Really means a lot to me personally because, it, like I mentioned, it it was like a holiday, and just the idea of like I, I you know I was aware of the kid audience that had popped up over the last couple of years, um, last three three or four years, um, like something that I think is incredible, but I never aimed for, I never put any work into the world that was specifically aimed at middle graders before this. So I just, yeah, I, I wanted to do something that could, you know, be in the same hallowed halls as, as the Goosebumps books and um, kind of fill a gap in that way for, for, for newer kids who are looking for the same sort of thing. And uh, just, just kind of like being appreciative to the, uh, the kid audience that really loves my work. And, um, you know, without actually, you know, it's for middle grade audiences, but I didn't, I made a very conscious effort to not pull any punches to not talk down, to not condescend, because I think it's really easy for kids to kind of tell when the scares are being held back because, you know, cognizant of, of them being younger. So I just, uh, thankfully, Scholastic was on the same page. They, they never were no notes about pulling anything back, making anything a little bit tamer. Um, and yeah, just wanted to, you know, give kids a, a safe scare. I know it might be early with the book just having been recently released, but based on the amazing critical reception so far, do you think there's a future? Are you going to uh, to try and write more for this audience base? Yeah, well, um, I don't know if you have a physical copy or an EPUB, but the physical copy does have a it has a one on the spine. It's because uh, it was it was optioned as two books, so there's definitely going to be a second one. I've sent off the a, a plot synopsis that I think is really interesting and really fun um, to Scholastic, and um, I'm sure it's being passed around there. I hope it gets approved because I think it would be really wild. Um, it's kind of my take on body horror and UFO stuff for kids, sort of. Oh. Uh, and uh, yeah, if if there's a second, if if it's as if the response is as good as the first book has been. Um, so far for the second book, I would, I would be over the moon if they came back and asked for a book three or a book four, um, cause they're very, very fun to write and I have ideas for more and I just love 
love to continue to put the characters through the ringer. <laughs> Amazing. That's super exciting as a fan for me to hear. You know, you have such a specific area of expertise. I'm wondering what you can share about your creative process. Where do these ideas come from? Um, it's, it's odd because, uh, there isn't really a huge creative process. Like I, I actually do a lot less than I think most, most people do the whole thing with the photo bashing, which is where most of the, I think all the characters I'm kind of known for came from, um, was because up until very recently I was working retail every single day. I've worked retail most of my life. Haven't been able to jump to freelance, you know, until like the last five years or so. But for the longest time, I would come home from working in a bookstore, working in a video store, whatever I was doing, and be really tired and not want to paint a whole thing, but um, wanting to keep putting work out on social media to keep your engagement up high and, you know, keep being productive as an artist, you know. So what I would do for long for a long period of time with those is that. I had a big folder of photos and I could choose from those when I came home and was tired. I wouldn't have to paint a whole background. I wouldn't have to do all this and that. I could just focus on creature design and matching and lighting and color and tone and shadow, just trying to fit a monster into an environment that was already pre-existing. And it let me focus on just like what I would like to see in terms of creature design and, uh, you know, character design and that kind of thing. Yeah, that was where all all of that came from, and I don't I don't know where the monster designs came from, but I was you know all all the really popular ones um, when they came about. I was doing like four or five a day. I was just pumping them out, and uh, I made a point not to do any pre sketch. I never pre sketch or do anything like that. I just paint, start painting right on the on the photo, and then after it's done, um, try and contextualize a little bit with um with a little bit of flash fiction, a little text, and put it out there and be done with it. And move on to the next one. So that, that's kind of the extent of the process. I just kind of try and see what would fit in that space when I'm looking at a spooky photo and then what I would find scary and what I would think would be interesting or, um, you know, cool to see. And that's where Siren Head and Long Horse and all the rest of those guys came from. A follow-up question, yeah. uh, be it inspiration or technique or platforms, do you have any advice for young creators that might be listening, maybe the future Trevor Hendersons of tomorrow? Yeah, well, I mean, first off, anyone who's drawing because they like my stuff, like you're a hero. That's the coolest thing in the world. Like, I just want to inspire kids to do something that I can't even, that's way cooler than what I'm doing. Like, I just know that, you know, there's all these, uh, you know, I hear about people who are do drawing monsters and doing horror art and creature stuff now. And I just know it's going to be like, it knock my stuff out of the water. And I, it just makes me so happy to be, you know, a part of that. Um, but for people looking for any advice, I, I guess just try and um, draw what scares you in terms of creatures and um, be very conscious of um, shapes and what shapes you're giving characters. Like try and, I try and think of silhouettes, um, you know, and if a character or a monster would be identifiable, if it was just a, a black silhouette, could you still tell it? And if you can't, then, you know, try and break up your shapes a little bit more, something like that. Um, and just, you know, try and incorporate things you find interesting, things that scare you, things you maybe haven't seen before in, in, in an interesting way. And, uh, and practice is the other one. I just, just do them, just pump them out do as many as you can, I guess. That is great yeah. advice. Yeah. We love to eliminate barriers, uh, wherever possible. So we really appreciate that advice more after this. 
For over six years, The Past and the Curious has been winning fans, sharing stories of real people from the past, and making people smile. I'm Mick Sullivan, author of I See Lincoln's Underpants, which is a book about, well, famous people's underwear. You'll find all of those stories and much more in the hundreds of episodes of The Past and the Curious. You know, quite often people will say to me, Mick, my kid loves your show. But you know what? I love your show too. And that's what it's all about. Bringing grown-ups and kids together to learn and laugh while they discover new stories about underwear saving people's lives, the origin of the swimsuit, or figures like inventor Garrett Morgan, astronomer Mariah Mitchell, or spy and baseball player Mo Berg. So if you want to get hip to the show, you can find The Past and the Curious in all the usual podcast places. The Past and the Curious with Mick Sullivan. That's me. So we've already mentioned some of the big ones, but thinking back to being in the target age of our listenership, like what were some other big or maybe lesser known, uh, you know, horror media pieces that inspired you? Yeah, well, I think when I was a kid, I, I followed a very similar pipeline to a lot of people working in horror uh, these days, which was, you know, the, you know, the R.L. Stein, the goosebumps from the Scholastic Book Fair, all the weird like knockoffs, like spying tinglers and and things like that. Um, I never, I somehow never jumped onto Fear Street. I think at the time it seemed like it was more focused on like less supernatural stuff. So I didn't, didn't really vibe with that at the time. So I, I sidestepped that completely. Um, and then, you know, Stephen Gamel's illustrations in Alvin Schwartz's uh, Scary Stories Tell in the Dark books, of course, petrified me. I couldn't even look at them and I was like, fascinated by them at the same time. The author who did, um, I know he did last summer. I was into that for, I think it might be Lois Duncan, I think. Uh, and then, you know, right on to Stephen King. And because my dad had all of those in the night table beside his bed. Um, I remember reading The Mist at a really young age, Skeleton Crew. And then that just blew the doors open. And, um, you know, anything in the horror section at the library, I could I could read all, all the way up into and in past high school. I think I read it for the first time in grade seven or eight. And that just really did a lot for me. <laughs> same, same. Yeah. Well, what yeah. do you think it is about this age range that's so drawn to horror content or that feeling of being scared? Yeah. Well, I think when you're that age, you're still trepidatious about it. Um, it still has uh, a kind of power over you um, that you're, you know, captivated by and you want to see and read and 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 get as much of but at the same time there's still that thrill like you know it, if a movie scares me these days it's it's a wonderful surprise um, but back then you know everything was is kind of new you're not used to tropes as much that kind of thing and uh it just has a vitality when you're that young that it maybe loses a little bit of it all but the very best stuff i think Looking at your huge body of work um, and some of your creations, so many of which our audience is familiar Ooh. with, do you have any favorites yourself? Yeah, uh, the one I like, I feel like there's four or five that really kind of became what I was known for, which is like, long, you know, a cartoon cat, siren head, um, maybe the man with the upside down face, a few others like that. Long horse has always been my favorite, um, but it seems like it's maybe the the least popular of the three, but it's like one of my big favorites. And for more obscure ones, there's a, there's a group of characters called uh, the Sisters of the Ever Sharpening Blade that are kind of like 
my version of um, maybe the Cenobites from Hellraiser, like these kind of Victorian women in dresses with veiled heads and like knife points coming out from their whatever their face looks underneath. And they're like this bizarre interdimensional cult of beings that you can call on for assassinations. I like those guys. I think they're cool. Um, uh, so I'd like to do something with them eventually. Like I have some ideas for longer works involving some characters and they're at the top of the list for sure. That's awesome. Uh, so you mentioned before, you know, y- you have really come to fame uh, because of the internet and your fans' ability to share your work. What are the pros and cons of being an artist and creator in the age of the internet and social media? Yeah, well, um, it's mostly pros. I'm so happy and just so grateful that that something I made is as has become so you know well known and 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 liked and uh, enough that people have taken and run with it in all these really crazy ways. But you know the flip side, you know, in the beginning when the internet kind of took like Siren Head for instance, and it became very viral and went in its own direction, I had to learn very quickly that you know once the internet kind of takes something in that way, it's kind of not yours anyway anymore. Like you have to make peace with that very quickly. So yeah, I think you're right in that. You know, thankfully, the fan base has been a huge, huge component of, you know, all the opportunities I've gotten, getting the chance to ride scare waves, all these characters kind of blowing up. But, you know, at the same time, I have to make peace that Siren Head is is kind of the Internet's now, like more or less. Um, It's a lot of people are very desperate for lore um, and, you know, a meaning behind uh, characters. And I find like Siren Head specifically is is always going to get less scary the less, the more you know about it. Uh, so personally, I would have kept it very ambiguous, but there's like whole backstories and stuff out there now. Um, you know, kids videos with them, all kinds of stuff. So I guess the answer is that, you know, you get um, a, a wonderful, passionate fan base on one hand. On the other, you know, you get Siren Head uh, playing soccer with Spider-Man and CGI <laughs> yeah. videos for children made, you know, a- across the seas uh, that you would not have expected, I guess. <laughs> Two super quick ones for you. Um, I see as you're wearing a Bigfoot Lives t-shirt. If you could only pick one cryptid to be real, what would you choose and why? Oh, it's a good question. Um, my, hmm, oh, my gut response is the Fresno Nightcrawlers. Because those guys are just weird, wispy, ghostly walking pants. And I would just love them to be real. That would be great. Um but I also really like the Hopkinsville goblins, which are just like horrible little gremlins. Or, uh, God, the Dover Demon is really cool. The Flatwoods Monster. Any of the stranger ones, really. Bigfoot, though. God, if they found a if they found a Bigfoot. See, I also don't want cryptids to be real because I know that they would just catch them and, and do horrible things to them. And it wouldn't be... We would be horrible to them. So if they do exist, I hope that they just... I want a photo, but I want them to keep being mysterious and un, unfound, I guess. Um, but, but definitely the, the Fresno nightcrawlers. Cause they're just weird little guys. I love it. Uh, and then I'll leave you on a fun one. Uh, I don't know your, uh, diet or dietary restrictions, but if you can mm. only pick one, yeah. Count Chocula, Frankenberry or Booberry. See, this is a hard question because we don't really get those in Canada so much. So I don't, I've had Count Chocula for sure. And I'm not a big fan. Um, but I haven't had Booberry and I haven't had Frankenberry. So I think I would go, I'd go with Frankenberry because that seems like it's strawberry. Yep. I um, think it's a strawberry okay. or a raspberry. And that's in big quotes, yeah. strawberry or raspberry. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but my real answer is that I would go with the uh, non-existent Creature from the Black Lagoon themed cereal that he should have gotten back in the you know 70s or 80s or whenever they came up with it. He he was done. He was done dirty. He deserves his own swamp, swampy green yeah. cereal that tastes like you know lemons or limes or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time today here, Trevor. Yeah, of course. No, I'm, I'm happy to. This is great. Thank you, Nate. And a huge thanks to this week's guest, Trevor Henderson. Trevor's book, Scare Waves, is available now, wherever books are sold. Our theme song and additional music composed by Jesse Case. Our logo was created by Natalie Kewen. If you enjoy the show, make sure to tell your friends. You can leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice or share an episode on social media. Speaking of social media, you can find Unspookable on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us for a peek behind the scenes and for updates on the show. Unspookable is a production of Soundsington Media, committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to www.soundsingtonmedia.com.